We declared April, as I think I said, Essential Services Workers Month and uh, have very specifically put our um, public works employees in that group. So we're hoping that they do get that recognition. That was Dr. David Kogan, the mayor of Amherst, our guest on episode six. Stay informed, get involved. Welcome to the Great Amherst Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Cameron. Today's guest is Dr. David Kogan, the mayor of Amherst. I am extremely appreciative and grateful for the mayor coming on to do an interview with me. In our interview, uh, the mayor shared a message for the town, a message for the town residents. We talked a lot about the town declaring April as Essential Service Workers Month and who should be recognized. We talked a lot about the lead up to the town making decisions to start closing their facilities and who was involved. And we talked a lot about how the town of Amherst is working collaboratively with the municipality of Cumberland, the town of Oxford, and our other surrounding communities to work through this crisis and be prepared for our rebound. So stick around for all of that information and some more. And first, a word from our sponsors. Kathy at the Copper Tree Boutique is excited to announce you can order your Viking sandals and Volkswalkers online at thecoppertreeboutique.com now. Send someone a new pair of shoes as a special gift or a reminder that you're thinking of them. And Birkinshaw's Restaurant in Amherst is still open and offering free home delivery or curbside collection of their take-and-bake meals, care packages, and plenty of other hot meals and snacks. Visit them at www.birkinshaws.ca or on Facebook for their daily specials. And here's the mayor of Amherst, Dr. David Kogan. So welcome everybody again. Uh, today's guest is the mayor of Amherst, Dr. David Kogan. Uh, Dr. Kogan moved to Amherst in 1985 to set up his obstetrics and gynecology practice at the old Highland View Regional Hospital. Uh, he and his wife raised three kids in Amherst and in 1995 joined the Moncton Hospital team. Uh, and he was elected mayor in 2016 or 2015? I can't remember. October 2016. Perfect. 2016. Well, thank you very much for coming on today. My pleasure, Andrew. Yes. So we're chatting in the middle of coronavirus and COVID-19 and our self-isolation and self-distancing. Uh, so i just like to open it up. If you want to take a minute and if you have a message you want to get out or any words you want to share, I'll give you the microphone or give you the floor. Well, well, thank you. I mean, this is an unprecedented event. There is nobody in Canada that's ever gone through anything like this. Our lives are, are being changed. And the, the important thing is that while this is a major threat to all of us, there are many things we can do to minimize the threat. It's a virus, it's contagious, it's passed on from person to person. And so all of the measures that you're hearing about being recommended by the um, public health nationally, provincially, locally, are all um, keys to try and lessening the, um, the spread of the virus. Um, we've, we have had the benefit of seeing in other countries where it was further spread before it was recognized, and we've been able to get out in front of this. 
And it's important for Nova Scotians to understand that we may be in one of the safer places, but that does not mean we can be complacent. So while our rate of disease is climbing, uh, it's climbing at a slower pace than we've seen in other places. It shows that the social distancing, the personal hygiene, the lack of gathering in large groups, these methods are working and I don't want people to become complacent. We're now, what, about three weeks into this here and it's getting worse, not better yet. It will get better, but we can't be complacent. Those measures have to be continued. So that's the big message I'd like to get out to people. And so those measures are still, you know, washing your hands, not quite constantly, but all the time, you know, stay home when, unless you have to go somewhere. That's right. Limiting, limiting your social contact. Going to the grocery store is not a family event. You send one person. Those kinds of things. Um, self, not isolating that, that's more specific. But as you've said, be home as much as you can be. Go outside to get some exercise and some fresh air, but you don't go outside to socialize. You go outside to move around, to be out of the confines of the house but not to contact other people i saw i think sunday afternoon there was a lot of i saw a lot of people out walking but everybody was moving and maintaining their distance like no there weren't too many people in big groups walking together or anything like that it was a lot of, see a lot of single people out either walking or going out for a run or something like that that's the sort of things for getting out of the house you're saying Exactly. And I've noticed the same thing in my neighborhood. I have, I have a dog. I get him out for a walk uh, for 20 or 30 minutes, five times a day. I'm a diabetic, so I ah. need the exercise. Yes, true. To keep my sugars under control. Yeah. And we're very careful to be talking to people from the opposite sides of the street mm -hmm. and, and distancing ourselves. It works. The spread of the, the virus is through droplets, so you don't want to be within that six foot or two meter range where, you know, spoken word can spread the virus. So if we consciously pay attention to those things, it works and it does work. I find your comment on the numbers. I, I think I was saying to my wife the other day, I find the numbers uh, tough because logically I know they're going to go up every day and I know the extra cases or the increased cases per day are going to increase. So like I think Saturday we had 26 or 27, Sunday was 29, today was like 30. And I know that, logically I know that, and I know how this works, but every time you hear and every time you see it, you go, <gasps> you kind of panic and go, oh no, this is, it. it's tough. It's very tough because people in Nova Scotia are going to get sick even if we all do all the right things. And sadly, people are going to die. And in fact, Nova Scotia reported its first death from this this morning. Uh, the thing is that if you have no measures in place to try to reduce spread, there is an anticipated rate of increase of the disease that is exponential. In other words, one person, the next day it's two people, then it's four, then it's eight. And it keeps going up at a very fast rate. With the measures in place that we're encouraging, all people to utilize, that increase will be significantly slowed. So you will never hit this giant peak of sick people, which will 
overtax and overburden our healthcare system, healthcare system, but you're still going to get sick people. Not, not, no system's going to be perfect. So the whole idea is to minimize the impact. It's not, you're not going to eliminate it. That would be un, that what you wasn't what, what you could expect, but minimizing it is important. And I think the impact on the healthcare system is such, such a interesting or uh, the main point. Like, so my sister, Kelsey, who I think did one of her, uh, well, she's going through medical school, I think did perhaps her obstetrics, gynecology, rotation. I can't think of it, rotation. That's what I was looking for with you when you were in Moncton. That's right. That's yeah. right. A, a few years ago. Very enjoyable, I think, for both of us. <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely know that's the case. She works at the hospital in Fredericton now. Okay. And so she doesn't have her own family practice anymore. She works with a lot of the uh, patients who are admitted to the hospital who don't have their own family doctor. So she provides them care. And I know that was their big concern is if they got an influx of, I don't know, 30 or 40 people, how does that impact the care for the people that are already in the hospital or the people who heart attacks or other issues and need more care if the hospital's overwhelmed by people with coronavirus or COVID-19? That's sort of been her concern for a number of weeks. And, th and that's the, the concern is that if you overwhelm the system with one particular problem, you have to remember that people are still going to have heart attacks and strokes and get cancer and need healthcare. So that's why it's so important for all of us to practice all the safety precautionary measures that will help reduce the spread of the virus. So then let's, so to, we're talking on Tuesday, the 7th, leading into, yeah, we're leading into Easter weekend. I mean, this is typically everybody goes home. Everybody gets together with their family. Is that one time a little bit on the weekend? Like, is that, is that okay? I would absolutely say, sadly, that it is not okay. We know when we say family, if people are living at the same address, then you're together, and that can be more than five people. But if you're visiting um, family members who live in a different place, a different residence, then that is not um, following the guidelines and is putting everyone at risk, you and the rest of your family. I can speak personally. My three children all live in Bedford, and there are two daughters-in-law and five grandchildren. So we would, as much as we would love to go down there and spend Easter as we normally would, we've decided we're going to have a virtual Easter dinner on Sunday, and we're going to use Skype or Zoom or one of these technologies so that we can quote, be together. And I would strongly encourage others to come up with some imaginative way that they can maintain connections with their family. We haven't gotten to planning ours yet, but it's on the, uh, on the list of something to think about or kind of figure out, you know, what do we want to do? How do we want to handle this? And that'll be our next thing. Uh, I did, what, when I asked you to come on, I, one of the things I was really interested in, I wanted to learn more about was um, I think a week ago or a week and a half ago, I was talking to Jason McDonald with the town. He's deputy CAO. And I, I just called to check in, see how they're making out, see what was going on. And we were chatting for a bit. And he made the comment that it was tough for the staff because nobody goes to school to be prepared for a pandemic. That's not part of the planning, uh, getting his planning degree or anything like that. So I 
I wanted to learn more about the lead up for the town uh, in the decision making to act as quickly as the town did. I feel like the town, I think it was March 13th. I think it was that Friday. I think I, I, I remember this one because I was supposed to play hockey that night up at the rink. And at about four o'clock, word started getting around that town's having a meeting. They may close the rink. And then by five, it was rinks closed. All the facilities were starting to be shut down. So I'm kind of curious that lead up to that. And so we can go back a bit more. When did the town and when did, when did you start hearing about this or when did you start the planning? And by you, I mean the whole team at the town. (laughs) Right. Well, here's where I've said we in Nova Scotia have an advantage because we saw what was going on in China. We saw what was going on in Italy and we saw what was going on in Iran and you realized this was going to get here eventually. We knew we knew it wasn't here yet. And this would have been, I guess, that very first weekend okay. in March that that this was being recognized. So that that the following week, um, that's when the when the meetings began and the realization that we need to jump out ahead of all of this. It's going to be a pain for the people to lose their facilities, but non-essential facilities had to be shut down to begin the process of preventing large social gatherings. For example, the stadium. And uh, I heard from people who were very upset, the seniors who use the walking um, track, and and they they were upset that it was closed. And I explained that the risk of contracting coronavirus was far greater than the lack of exercise they might get temporarily. And fortunately, the weather was starting to get better. The the roads and sidewalks were clear of snow. And I suggested bundle up and walk outside. But we knew that we had to get out ahead uh, ahead of things and protect the public. One of the key functions of municipal government and town staff is the health and safety of the citizens of Amherst. So when we saw, and it was pretty clear what was coming, and it's not even here yet, I'm unaware of any cases locally, but we know there will be eventually. So we made the decision to get out ahead of this, and we were one of the first communities in Nova Scotia to do that. Um, So it was a, a combined decision of, I guess, mayor and council, and the CAO and town senior management. That's the team when you talk about these decisions. Jason McDonald is one member of the senior management team and uh, the chief of operations. So things fall under under him and to a great degree when it comes to facilities. And uh, and that's when it began and how it came to be. And even under under the operations, I mean, you think sewer and water, like the town still has to be able to fix breaks and maintain those services it's that's not optional that's right and when we talk about determining what services we provide that are essential that's one of them um, fire protection police protection those are other examples of essential services that the town's responsible for providing <clears throat> in the lead up to those so you comment you first started the first part of March, give or take a little bit there. What would have been the organizations or the other either government organizations or other places that you could go to seek 
or that you're able to go to to seek guidance or seek input or information? What? Well, we, we maintain close collaborative relationships with our provincial government through our MLA. Um, we have a close relationship with our MP so that we, we can meet, and we did meet, all the municipalities within Cumberland County, so the town of Oxford, Amherst, Cumberland County itself, the MLAs, both South and North Cumberland, and the MP, we've been meeting, we've had virtual meetings, we stay in touch, we share information. Uh, there is no, like you said, nobody's ever been through anything like that. So there's a little bit of, of, of just trying to use really good judgment uh, and make the best decisions you can, keeping in mind the, the health and safety of our citizens. Um, you know, another issue that we're, we're struggling with apart from that, and maybe you could say secondary to that, is the financial impacts, the economic impact. This, this coronavirus pandemic is devastating to the economy. And, uh, and that's another challenge that we're constantly keeping in mind and trying to, to um, help. Yeah, it's, it, yeah this, it's not good. That's right from day one, I was going, oh, this isn't good. Yeah, I, think, I was talking to my father about this. <laughs> and he made the comment, he said, I've been through seven recessions. None of them have come on this fast in this quick or just shut everything down, like restaurants and... Well, well that's right, because um, the recessions that he would be alluding to threatened people's financial well-being, but they didn't threaten their lives. And so economy has to take a second place to direct health risk. But, so I say, this is unique. Now, not to be totally negative, we're going to get through this. We're going to get into a new season. And like most viruses, they tend to calm down. We're going to hit a peak. We're going to get over a lot of it. And people worry about, oh, second wave and what about next year? Well, that's where you have to hope that they're able to create a vaccine. People will get the coronavirus shot, shot along exactly. with their flu shot, yep. that kind of thing. I'm very optimistic that that, you know, from all of the medicine and all of the science, that's going to ultimately happen. But unfortunately for the initial outbreak, nobody has immunity. So we're all at risk. I don't know, technical name or where, the, where the initially we're calling it a novel coronavirus, that it's new. It's not like some people had a, right. some immunity from SARS or from MERS or H1N1, and it didn't spread as much. But now with this one, nobody did. So basically, you come in contact with it, you're more probably going to get it. Well, well, that's exactly right. It, there are coronaviruses that have been in existence for a long time. But this is, was labeled novel coronavirus because it was new, a new strain, a genetic mutation. There was no one with any immunity to this. So as, as if you, one of the basic reasons for flattening the curve and is beyond the healthcare system being overwhelmed is that what you'll get is people who have had it and recovered. And now they become active members of the workforce because they're immune and they're not at risk. So it, it, it causes a shift. So one of the things that the town has done because of the two week um, window of exposure to infection is try to have um, separate shifting uh. of essential workers so that 
one group work for two weeks and then they're off for two weeks and the, the second half group work because that's another effective way of preventing the entire workforce from ever getting infected and being unable to continue to provide the essential services. So we've done that with our town workers. Um, I know that Chief Pike is working on similar methodology for his police force. So that's a method that helps um, maintain essential services that we, we have right. to yeah, maintain. So in that case, like if we had the whole water crew end up in self-isolation because of either somebody on the crew had coronavirus, you know, I don't think they want you or I going out to try to fix any of these water main breaks or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. And that's exactly, that's exactly why. So it splits it into, uh, it, it, it spreads out mm -hmm. the risk. So I was also wondering, we, we touched a bit on sort of the economic and the financial piece of this in the federal government. I, I think right from the beginning has done an unbelievable job in getting the programs out and getting money announced and the speed that they're putting the programs together is unheard of. And I think the provincial government's uh, doing a lot. Is the town able to offer anything or is the town able to do anything or is there thoughts on that? Well, directly, no. Um, municipalities don't have the financial wherewithal to, to be active in that. Our role is more than advocacy and helping provide um, information on communication and direction for people. So what we've done is we've engaged both the Amherst and Area Chamber of Commerce and the Cumberland Business Connector to be the conduits for business information. So one of the um, best ways to get information, if you're a small business owner or you're an employee and don't know what benefits are, are, or how to access them and have all that, is to contact cumberlandbusinessconnector.ca. That's a, a good way to go. There's information on our town website that they can access by going to amherst.ca as well. So we're conduits for the information. We're advocates for the, to the provincial and the federal governments to provide the financial backing to help businesses and people get through this from an economic perspective. Well, that makes sense. I think, I think I saw somewhere there, the town may not be charging interest on overdue water bills or property tax bills for a certain period of time. Like, I think there was little things. Right. We said we wouldn't charge interest for a month. And at the end of the month, you could look again. Um, we um, are not going to be doing any water disconnects for lack of payment during the pandemic. There were a few small things we could do. But the harsh reality is um, the town is, in a sense, you can look at like a small business and maintaining the cash flow needed to provide the essential services. Unfortunately, we can't give too much away without threatening that. And, and, and towns don't build up huge reserves because that would have meant for years you're paying taxes just so they can have a pot of money in case something happens. No, it doesn't work that way. I know discussing with uh, with people at uh, at the HRM, their monthly overhead is a hundred million dollars. So every month they're spending a hundred million dollars. You can't go very long without collecting no. taxes before you're out of money to be able to provide what you have to provide. Yeah, it wouldn't take very long for it wouldn't take very long for you to get a whole lot of calls for the minute somebody turns on their tap and there's no water there. 
Well, that's right. That's right. And one thing I'd like to, to make sure that at least the citizens of Amherst appreciate is that um, compared to a lot of other municipalities, because we have, I was on a conference call, there were 85 participants. Every municipality in the province was represented. And hearing what's going on in other municipalities, Amherst is, is economically speaking, far better off than a lot of other communities. And I would like to go on record and to say that the credit for that has to go to our CAO, Greg Herrett, and the previous mayor, Rob Small, who began some financial planning and long-term uh, awareness so that um, minimizing debt and the financial situation in the town when I came to become mayor was far more solid. And some credit goes to myself and our current council for supporting those plans, continuing them for the last three and a half years. And so Amherst is, economically speaking, better off than most other municipalities in this province. But that doesn't mean we have the wherewithal to be giving back thousands and thousands of dollars because people are, are um, finding their work is, is not there anymore. So that's why we act as advocates so that provincial money and federal money can be filtered. And, and like you said, and I'm thrilled with the job that the federal government, and the provincial government have done in that regard and how quickly they've done it. Again, another unprecedented way of doing Especially business. as my, uh, my wife pointed out, reminded me last night, the prime minister has been working from home for a month. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. One of the other <laughs> things talking about, um, I mean, we touched a little bit on like Greg, Greg Herrett, the CAO and Jason McDonald. I hope one of the things that comes from this, and I've been thinking about it a lot recently as well, is there are a lot of extremely strong, capable people who work in our governments, municipal, uh, provincial, federal, and not necessarily the elected officials, but the career, the career, say civil servants. And I think for a long time, they got lumped into as have just being viewed as negative or just having a negative reputation or anything like that. And I think, I hope one of the things we start taking away from is we have very strong, capable people in our governments. And I think, it, and for me, the example I see is Dr. Robert Strang. I think he's fantastic. Like him getting out front, communicating everything going on. I think he's done an unbelievable job. And I had no idea who he was. And I'm kind of glad I didn't know who he was either because <laughs> it was only like in a pandemic that we start, only when there, is the, when there are these crises, do we really start to meet and see see the government officials that are in place to look after them. And I hope people start to identify or realize that they are out there. Um, and the other thing is, I think a lot of them, you, they don't get credit when you avoid, when you've planned and avoided a crisis, you don't get credit, right? Like, like your example with Greg, with putting in a lot of, um, with Greg Hare, putting in a lot of practices to secure the, the financial stability of the town. He wouldn't get a lot of credit for that. However, in the flip side, if there was a crisis and the town ended up in a financial problem and he came in and fixed it, he would get all the credit, but he gets no credit for avoiding the problem to begin with. Well, yeah, um, you find in, in, in government and it, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal, you, you tend to get blamed for things maybe mm -hmm. you don't deserve to yeah. be blamed for. Sometimes you get credit for things <laughs> you really don't deserve credit. That's fair too. 
but I think, like you say, people don't always see what's going on proverbial behind mm -hmm. the scenes. And so um, for the last, you know, let's say about 12, 11 or 12 years, plans to, to uh, optimize the financial situation in Amherst is paying a dividend at this point in time, and, and it needs to. And, and we're fortunate that we've had great leadership at the elected official level and at the town staff level over that period of time. And that's why I'm here making a, a point to give them that credit, because you're right, often people don't know really what goes on and, uh, and the good things that are happening. If something bad happens, boy, you catch wind of that very quick. But that doesn't mean that we we have the wherewithal to to um, provide more than advocacy toward the the real source of financial aid, which is the federal government, and to a lesser degree, yeah. the provincial government. So the other thing I was wondering is during the pandemic, like town hall is closed, like it's not open to the public right now. How is Correct. Is town council still operating? Like, are you still meeting? How are you doing that? What? Yes, we, we have virtual meetings okay. through Zoom. And uh, we're just beginning to get into that. It was only, um, only March uh, meetings, and we did have a, a council meeting. Um, so that was, that was successful. We've developed developing and, and getting comfortable with the technology. We're also um, meeting the CAOs and the mayors and the warden. So that six of us from Cumberland County are meeting every week virtually to, to try and, and uh, share ideas, share problems, basically so that all the people of Cumberland County are going to get the same benefits and the same treatment from all of us. Because like we've said here, this is new. We're all rookies here. So when you, you look to each other for, for ideas, input, support. And uh, so these virtual technology, like the one we're using right now, this is what we're putting in place and, and using. Um, we had a meeting just earlier this morning. It was a, a Cumberland County-wide meeting. Um, it was hosted by our MLA, Elizabeth Smith McCrossan, again, for sharing ideas. We had uh, our Chamber of Commerce and Cumberland Business Connector represented. We had all the municipalities represented, both the leaders of, that were elected and as well the CAOs. Um, our Emergency Management Organization Coordinator was part of that. So, the, the virtual meetings that Zoom and other technologies allow us to have, we're utilizing and we're trying to, um, to stay in touch with each other and stay on top of this as best we can because it is such a challenging thing for, for people to have to uh, yeah. try to get it, through. Yeah, I'm with you on that because there's, to me, it always strikes me as there's two parts of it. There's one dealing with the health situation where everybody's self-isolating and staying at home and then there's transitioning into the recovery whenever we get there and it strikes me as this one this is when we were during the recovery this is one where the town the county the whole area probably even Sackville New Brunswick we all have to work together if people are in point and push in the one direction so that we can help speed up that recovery and so it's nice to hear a lot of the communication between, you know, the town, the county, Oxford, 
uh, happening now. Well, that's right. I mean, we're intertwined and, um, you know, this was something our uh, council and the current councils and all three have have developed was that we had joint council meetings three times a year. So the collaborative engagement began in shortly after we were elected and it's paying dividends that we already have an evolving, developing good working relationship because I, I'm in told the history in Amherst and Cumberland that wasn't always yeah. the case. That so so we've I take great pride in being a part of changing that, and so um, it made it a little bit easier for us to collaborate on the pandemic, um, you know, COVID problem, both from a health perspective and an economic perspective. It's paying dividends now, and hopefully that carries on. I did. Um, actually, with follow-up on this, I know previously the council meetings held in the chambers, they were both live-streamed and recordings were available afterwards. Are those, is there anything like that available for the current meetings you're doing? Yeah, Municipal Affairs has modified the rules to enable us to continue to work. So the uh, virtual meetings, um, I believe the public may have access to, however, they are being recorded and the recordings are going to be available as well as minutes have to be taken and available 24 hours. So even if it's not immediate, and remember at council meetings when the public were out streaming, they couldn't interact, they couldn't ask questions or be part of it. So they will have access to our meetings um, as usual, but it might be a delay of 24 hours. Nothing. And you think about it was probably not even 10 years ago where if you wanted to know exactly what happened at the council meeting, you had to go. Like, so we're just back exactly. to that time. Like it's not a, it's not a huge, huge change. Well, they will get, they will be able to to get the the information, but it takes a, maybe up to a day. But that's all. It's very accessible. Being open and transparent is key, and we're continuing that. The other thing I was curious about was, do you think your previous career and your previous medical training had any impact or bearing on how you approached the decision making or on how to act and what to do for the situation we're in? Well, I'd certainly like to think it did. Um, even though my area of expertise is obstetrics and gynecology, um, we all went to medical school and became doctors in, in general way first. So I had an insight into this problem that um, other people wouldn't have. However, as you mentioned, our medical officer of health, Dr. Strang, and our federal, Dr. Tam, I mean, these, these people are getting out there and they're giving people the medical background. We had it a little sooner here and a little more quietly at meetings because I have a medical background. One of the things I think is beneficial is when I go and make a little video, put it out on YouTube, the fact that I'm the mayor and the fact that I'm a doctor might give it a little more credibility. And, uh, and I'm very pleased that I've been able to, to do that. Um, but again, there are so many unknowns here where everybody is l- learning as they go. But, but I do think being a doctor and being the mayor has definitely helped. I think so situation. too. I think in, in our family, I remember me telling my mom and dad, you know, maybe you guys should stay home because they're up in Fredericton too. 
me going, I think you two should stay home. You know, don't go out. You're in risk factors. They kind of listened. But when Kelsey said, don't leave the house, they went, okay. <laughs> Just boom. <laughs> All right, we'll stay home. Okay. It was a much different reaction to that. <laughs> there you go. Well, I can tell you from other things that, that I've been at in dealing with motivating people, they've said that, you know, politicians are one of the worst for being able mm -hmm. to motivate people. Yep. They don't listen, but doctors yes. are one of the best. <laughs> so, so I get it. That, on both that's sides. a good, uh, good mix. Um, I did a, one last question on this from the work that I've done in town and the development work and things like that. I think in talking about essential services and essential workers, I think, our public works crews, like the guys that are out on the sewers and the waters and the roads, driving the plows, I don't know if they get a lot. No, I know they don't get the credit they deserve. I think that's just a fair, fair assessment. Is there anything like we can do as a community now to help make sure that they get acknowledgement and get the credit that these, these guys, this crew, these crews, they, that they deserve for the work they do? Well, I'm certainly glad that you've um, brought that up and recognized that because I think it's good if people hear that and can say something positive to them when they see them out working. Um, we declared April, as I think I said, Essential Services Workers Month and uh, have very specifically put our public works employees in that group. So we're hoping that they do get that recognition. Um, I'm very hopeful that when this is all done and over, there will be some celebratory events around town that people can be thanking those who, who did what they did during these times. You know, it's interesting because, you know, you join the police department, you've signed up for certain risks, right? And if you become a fireman you or a paramedic, you, you've signed up for certain risks. But when you took a job as a cashier at the local grocery store, you didn't sign up for any of those kinds of risks. But now you're stuck with them. And, and I'm very proud of them for continuing to provide the service, maintain our food chain. And, and that was something that, that, again, this Essential Services Workers Month recognition goes out to all these people because they deserve our our um, admiration and they deserve our gratitude. I, I was thinking about that today, like, because I saw you mentioned that it, you posted a message on uh, the town of Amherst YouTube channel this morning. Um, I'll put a link to that as well for anybody who wants to see it. And you talked about it being essential services workers month. And I was thinking about it that, you know, typically you, when somebody says that you think nurses, doctors, paramedics, firefighters, police officers, other healthcare workers, but I was thinking it, and you commented on this too, you know, grocery store workers are on there now, post, postal workers delivering the mail, truck drivers, you know, people at Emerson Packaging working the line there, people at Weston's, people at Maritime Egg, public works crews, electricians, plumbers, heating techs, the cleaning staff at the hospital, pharmacists, like we're really seeing how much we depend on certain people and just their importance. Yeah, thing, things are often taken for granted. And I always say that, um, you know, a lot of the um, services that a town has to provide um, are taken for granted. And you've mentioned water and sewer. I mean, you take them totally for granted until you don't have them. And that's when you realize how 
much of a necessity, an essential element of your life it is. Well, think of your food chain. That's that's vital, but you need the truckers to bring it in. You need the people in the grocery stores to get it out there for people to have. And uh, it, it, I think it's a time when all of us can reflect on our lives and how other people impact on our life. And maybe we won't take that for granted as much as we have no, in the past. I hope not. I hope there's, I was thinking about it, like this is, this is a stressful time. Like just, there's no denying that. Um, I think it's also can be a time for a reflection on what is, what is important, what maybe perhaps we were doing, but didn't line up with what our real values were, what was really important. And I was talking to somebody and I said, it's, you know, as long as you can set aside, we're in a global pandemic. For me, I like that it sort of the pace is slowing down that, you know, I come down to the office cause there's two of us here and we can stay far enough away, but then you go home and you spend time with your family and you play cards and you do these things. And it's kind of, kind of nice and kind of refreshing compared to, you know, Monday be here, Tuesday be here, Wednesday be there, Thursday be there. It's a, uh, I hope we don't rush back into everything once we can go back online out of previous habits and hopefully we can be maybe a bit more deliberate on what's, what's important. What are the things we want to bring back into our lives? Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Andrew. I think it's going to give everybody a little bit of a different perspective on life and a little bit of a different idea as to what's truly important. And they may make a little bit of an adjustment on their values. And I hope in a lot of it, like you, it will be for the better, but it definitely is going to be different. So one of the other things I want to ask is kind of connected to this is what are you, or what have you been doing differently now to manage the extra stress and anxiety that just comes with the situation and what's happening around? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've, I've, um, worked in a very high stress job where life and death decision making was part of your everyday work. And I, I guess I'm just a, a person who copes with that quite well. Uh, basically, um, it's by trying to focus on the true problems at hand and doing what you can do and knowing what you can do and understanding what you can do. But at the same time, understanding and knowing what you can't do. Um, stress comes from unresolved conflict. So if you can focus and target and and move forward as opposed to just spinning your wheels and getting and going nowhere, then you manage your stress quite well. Like you, um, in a way I'm enjoying some quieter time at home. Um, but um, I miss the social contact with my not immediate living in Amherst family, but my living away family and friends, but the beauty of Facebook and the beauty of, of Skype and all of these technologies, I, I think, you know, I'm taking advantage of that. We have whole family texting chats all day long. So we, we do get to stay in touch and people maybe have to make a little more effort to do that. We miss the face-to-face -face social interaction, and that's one of the big downsides of this. But you have to appreciate, you don't want to go visit your elderly grandmother at the nursing home and possibly lead to her demise because it's allowed a virus to get into the, into the high-risk population. So it's a sacrifice, and we're all making those sacrifices. 
But like you say, if you take a more positive attitude and look at the benefits of what's going on and try to take those positives and run with them, you'll cope better, you'll sleep better, you'll be under less stress and less anxiety and, and make some good things come out of something bad. It's, it's really, really important. And this is a point I was hoping to get in here at some point is to know what information you're getting is whether or not it's reliable. Social media is a wonderful tool and it's a mm -hmm. horrible tool, yep. both at the same time. You have to have a trustworthy source. So make sure that you're getting your information through the federal, the provincial or the municipal websites that you know you can get reliable information. People's opinions on social media are interesting and sometimes helpful, but the information they may be stating could be erroneous. And so always, always, always make sure your information sources are reliable. Very good point. How are how are your kids making out with all their children or their children being home? Are they well, I think they're doing quite well. Um, they're working at trying to be educational as well as playmates. Um, they're, you know, some of the grandkids are old enough to understand a little more than the younger ones. And they don't know why they can't go play with their friends. But um, it's bringing the families closer. Um, like you say, if there's something positive to come out of it, um, that's one of them. And you gain an appreciation for the impact you have on each other's lives, both those whom we're currently missing the social interactions yeah. or those who were forced to be with day in and day, day out. out. Like an, um, yeah. But that's, that's where I always say to people, like, if all you're doing is thinking about how bad something is and not thinking about how to make the most of it, that's when you're stressed. But if you say, okay, what can we do here that's going to be positive and have a good impact on our lives, then let's do that. And so you have to focus on, on being proactive as opposed to just sitting there fretting over everything and being stressed. So, um, and then, you know, there are people who really will have more serious challenges coping with the frustrations and actually suffer from anxiety and depression and will need the help of their healthcare professionals. Yeah. I think for me, I, I I've said this before that first week when everything was being shut down, I would come in and try to do some work, but I just, I couldn't do it. So I would just pick up the phone and call somebody and just say, how's it going? What, what are you up to? Are you doing okay? And that was sort of, that became my coping strategy for those first couple of weeks of just, yeah, picking the phone up and just calling and saying, things okay. It's, and that was sort of me being proactive as much to get out of my, outside of myself to talk to somebody else and check in on them. Yeah. And, and I know on a personal level, I've been extremely busy in dealing with municipal management issues and, um, and it's giving me a sense of purpose. Um, I feel that my contribution is valuable, and so it's making me feel good about myself. But we all need to find something positive that will give us that sense of value as well. Yeah, I think that's a great, great spot for us to uh, to wrap up. I, uh, I I really appreciate you coming on. I think um, I appreciated learning a bit more about the lead in to the decisions to start uh, as started shutting in the decisions the town were making. It was, like I said, something that I was thinking about. So 
if people are looking to get in contact with the town or have questions for the town, what's the best way or what are the best ways for them to do it? Yeah, I, I would seek their information on the town website um, because that will lead them to where they likely want to go. If it's somebody who really does not have access to a computer or an ability to go to a website, um, they can call the town. Uh, the phone number is uh, 902-667-5532. That would be the town's number. And if they have a particular question or concern, they can get information. They might not get an answer immediately because it's skeleton staffing and, and that kind of thing, but that's an access point. Um, if it's a business matter, then I would suggest they contact the Chamber of Commerce or the Cumberland Business Connector. And um, the websites are out there. I don't have a phone number off the top of my head for either of those two organizations. And obviously, if it's health related, then you do know to use 811 if it's a, a COVID 19 question. And um, and that would be their access. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate that and I enjoyed the, enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure. And if I can get my message out to the citizens of Amherst anyway, then that's a good thing. And uh, regards to your family. Thank you. That was the mayor of Amherst, Dr. David Kogan. Thank you once again for coming on as a guest today. If you enjoyed the show and would like to hear more interviews with local Amherst people about local topics, please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or where you're listening right now. Everybody have a great weekend and please stay safe.